Welcome to PainCast. Is there a pill for that? This is a podcast for people who suffer with chronic pain. Each week, we discuss a number of pain topics and teach people how to get rid of their pain without the use of medication, surgery, or shots. Now, here's your host, Jeff Batchy and Dr. Reed from Reed Physical Therapy in Fort Worth, Texas. Hey folks, and welcome back to PainCast, the podcast for pain. Um, I'm Jeff with uh, Dr. Reed here in Fort Worth, Texas at Reed Physical Therapy. Um, Today we'll be discussing dry needling and how it relates to your pain. So Nate, what is dry needling? Um, So dry needling is a uh, newer form of um, a technique that we've been using in the field as of recently. It's, it's, It's been out there longer but it's just now recently getting out there and and being utilized more often and more therapists are getting trained in it. Uh, It's where you take a a acupuncture needle and basically you, you, it's a very thin needle and usually it's, it's pretty pain free because the needles uh, uh, very thin. And what you do is you're, um, you're going to take the needle and you put it into a muscle and the ultimate goal is to cause relaxation, decrease pain and help the healing process. So how is it different than acupuncture? Acupuncture has um, been around a long time and actually has a lot of research behind it. Uh, the theories of, it's the same needle, but the theories are a little different. Uh, acupuncture uses meridians um, and, and, and they use these ancient um, Chinese meridian sites to decide where they put them. Um, uh, whereas dry needling actually uses more Western medicine, we use more anatomy. We're looking to put it in a certain muscle uh, to help that muscle maybe stop pain in a particular area. Uh, that muscle may be pinching on a nerve or uh, pinching an artery and causing some issues. So we're placing it in that area. Now, the other couple differences is, and when you do acupuncture, they, they typically put it in there um, a lot longer. They put more needles. They use all these they use these meridians and, and put a lot of needles in there and they leave them in there sometimes 10, 15 minutes. Uh, acupuncture, um, uh, has found to be a very positive, has a lot of positive uh, research behind it. And dry needling is trying to catch up with that research. And, and as far as the timing, like I was mentioning with the, the, uh, the acupuncture dry needling uh, you probably at the most put it in there five to ten minutes on average you can do the full 15 minutes i know certain trains of uh of thought in the dry needling community do you put it in there a little bit longer um but usually you can put it in there from five to ten minutes and then there are some dry needling um uh, some dry needle training that actually they just get in there, move the needle around to cause uh, the effect that they want, and they move it around and then take it out right away. So it dep- And it also depends on the area that you put it in, what technique you're going to use and how long you're going to put it in there and, and what angle you put it at and all that good stuff. So you mentioned some training. Um, where do you get trained to do dry needling? So dry needling is, uh, um, is there's a few different places you can go. Uh, you have to have a license that will allow you to actually do the training. Um, and you, and it, that particular state has to allow it within your, that, that license scope of practice. So in the state of Texas, we're, we're uh, currently allowed to dry needle with, without much problem. Uh, but there are states um, that are not allowing it, and, and they're, they're becoming few and far between, but there are still uh, a few states that don't allow dry needling um, because they've been getting a lot of challenges from the acupuncture board. 
Um, but most of the, whenever they've been challenged by the acupuncture board, um, most of the time it's come out in the, the physical therapist's favor. And, and slowly, I think almost, you know, most of the states will have it, if not all, in the next, you know, five to ten years. So once you've, once you've got the correct license and your state allows uh, you to use it within your scope of practice for that particular um, that particular uh, profession, then you, you can go to a company and, and it depends on what the state requires for how much hour, how many hours you need. So every, every state's a little bit different. Um, but typically um, the places in Texas that we, that are very highly uh, used is uh, there's one called Kineticore. Um, and then there's also one called the Dry Needling Institute with uh, James Dunning. Um, that's the one that I, I've used. Uh, they, I really liked that one. They used a lot of the um, acupuncture literature and research to help uh, create some of their curriculum. So we use, it's, it's still dry needling, but they use that, the acupuncture research to, to help support where they would put them and what they would do with them. Um, and then the Kineticore, uh, they don't use as much of the acupuncture research, and they do a technique called pistoning, where you move the dry uh, the dry needle around, and it's and usually you don't keep it in it as long. So um, that's a very uh, common method. I I'd say probably Kineticore. I would say most people are trained through them, but the Dry Needling Institute is becoming um, is becoming one that I hear about uh, quite often as well. Okay, and and I know I've seen you do dry needling quite a bit here in the clinic. Um, but sometimes you use uh, electricity. Yeah, electricity. Um, so uh, it's it's uh, we you can basically put a DC current through the the needle itself, and the whole goal of uh, dry needling is uh, to bring blood flow to the area, and um, and what that's going to do is relax the muscle, and then. Uh, and then uh, bring blood flow to the area for healing and oxygen. It also creates a very micro trauma so that it, your body creates, uh, uh, brings some of the hormones that help your body heal and also uh, some of the hormones that will help with pain blocking. Um, and so the goal is that it creates that micro trauma, but nothing, nothing permanent. You, because it's so small, it doesn't do any permanent damage, but brings the, the nutrients needed to help that area heal. So when, when you add electricity, the research shows that you're stimulating um, three to four times the effect of having um, the three to four times as much blood and as, uh, and as much effect with the hormones that it brings. So it's just uh, helping your body uh, magnify what you're already doing with the dry needling. So had, um, when you're doing dry needling, does it, does it hurt or do you, do you feel it at all? Actually, most of the time when you um, you get dry needling done, you can't feel it at all. Uh, the especially in the neck and face area, people and that always sounds scary to to have to put a needle in your face or neck. But usually, those are the thinnest needles that go the very least and uh, give you the least amount of uh, pain. If, and most of my patients don't feel it at all. Um, I would I I would say that if 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 anyone feels anything, it feels like if someone took. Uh, like a ballpoint pen and just poked it onto your hand. That's the best way to describe it. Um, if it, it feels less than a shot for most people. Um, and the technique that I use actually, um, we keep, we put them in. You, once they're in there, you don't feel it afterwards because you're going to leave them in there five to 10 minutes, let the blood flow get where it needs to go. Uh, 
and and um, instead of we don't use the pistoning approach as much. Uh, I do use it for some things, but the I find that it makes the patients a little more sore, a little more more painful. Now it's very effective, but for patient tolerance, instead of poking it around a little bit more, I typically like to leave it in for most of the the type of treatments that I do, and I and it gives me it lets me utilize that electric. Uh, that we were talking about earlier and and they leave it on and it it can create immediate uh, pain relief okay and um, what uh, what conditions is it best used for the there's actually a wide variety of conditions Um, we do we see a lot of uh, head neck and face patients here uh, as well as a number of other stuff but um, the thing I would say, if I had to say what was my favorite uh, thing to work on and use it for, is neck, neck pain of any kind. Uh, headaches works really well on headaches. Um, I have some patients that come in, you know, that's the main thing that they want to do and come in and, uh, and get utilized for headaches. Also, I like to use it on people with TMJ and jaw issues. Works really well. Um, a ton of uh, low back pain and, and spine pain research on it. I use it quite often for that as well. Um, a sciatica, it's, it's really, especially if you put it into the, the, the muscle that, that, that can pinch on the sciatic nerve, the piriformis, works really, really well. Um, you can use it for the research, and, I, and uh, maybe just because I don't see it as often, but you know, people with golf, uh, tennis elbow or golf elbow, so lateral epicondylitis or medial epicondylitis, you uh, a lot of research on that. Um, definitely really common. It's, it's shown a lot of positive results for carpal tunnel. Uh, you can use it for plantar fasciitis. Um, and I would say that if if I was looking at the uh, the the lower extremities or the legs, the the two places I probably put it the most, I would say it's probably for the sciatica patients. We put it in that that piriformis muscle, which is kind of on the back side of your hip, and then also. A ton of research and a, and a lot of positive results from what I've been seeing with my patients for uh, patients with knee arthritis, so osteoarthritis, tons of research on that, really highly supported. And, and just we having used it on a lot of patients, uh, most of them get really significant uh, pain relief from it. So if it's such a good treatment, and, and I know I've seen a lot of our patients have really good success with it, um, but why, why are the... St- not all the states um, letting the the PT scope of practice cover dry needling. Well, you know, I think it's what's interesting is it's I think it's the sometimes the lack of education about the amount of training that we get as physical therapists. Um, the degree is now a doctor of physical therapy. Um, most states are direct access. Actually, Texas is one of the few that isn't, but uh, we we are allowed to do dry needling. Um, so. Uh, the amount of anatomy that we have to learn is is right up there uh, uh, with the physicians as far as the the musculoskeletal stuff. Uh, the the doctor physical therapy degree requires you to take cadaver anatomy, and so then when once you get trained um, through these extra programs after you're done with your degree and after you've been licensed. Um, and I think the thing that stops people from getting to use it in their state, the acupuncture board um, is having a huge issue with it. Um, acupuncture is typically not paid through insurance. Some some insurances I've seen do allow it. Um, but uh, physical therapy is widely uh, paid paid for through insurance. So uh, uh, they, I feel like acupuncturists um, 
it challenges what they it challenges their their uh, their clientele as far as they somebody may try dry needling over acupuncture and and, uh, and that may cause issues so you have if you have the right lobbyists and the right lawyers I think that can be helpful too when when you're getting a state to try to to take that away from physical therapists yeah exactly and you've mentioned research quite a bit um, already so uh, what what are some of the research that we have here that we'll even post on our our website for people to check out? Yeah, so there's uh, there's a ton of it out there um, on the positive end. Um, uh, one of the ones that uh, I really like it's it's the effect effectiveness of dry needling for the upper quarter myofascial pain. Uh, it's a system a systematic review a meta meta analysis. So everybody that's familiar with research knows that that's uh, a high level of, uh, of research. Basically, they look at a lot of other researches, put them together, and see how effective it was. Now, it's sometimes difficult because different researchers checked different things. Uh, but this particular one uh, concluded it, that it was uh, based on the best current evidence available. It was considered a grade A, uh, um, so that's a very high level. Uh, it recommended dry needling uh, compared to sham or placebo for decreasing pain immediately after treatment and at four weeks in patients with upper quarter um, myofascial pain. So upper quarter, upper body, um, head, neck, and face stuff. Um, and so myofascial pain uh, is very common. Um, so myofascial being obviously the muscles and the fascia, that, and, and those are very common sources of pain, cause of neck pain, headaches, you know, that, that adage that, uh, um, that, our, uh, that our, we carry our stress on our neck is, is very common, and it, and it can cause a lot of uh, painful issues. So that's a really positive one, um, and that's why we, we, we definitely utilize it if the patient's up for it. We utilize it for those patients. Now, there's, um, there's uh, another one that I really like is one that talks about uh, low back pain. It's the effectiveness of dry needling on the radiating pain in subjects with uh, discogenic low back pain. So these are people who have, uh, have been determined to have uh, pain coming from the disc in their lower back. Uh, the conclusion uh, was that uh, on this one that um, you, you got some, uh, you get some pain, re- pain relief that uh, um, the improvement continued for two months after the, the last active intervention. So the dry needling was effective for long term as well. Now, what's interesting is that we don't, we don't just use dry needling. I mean, that's, that's awesome. If I could just use dry needling and People have no pain for the next two months, and I don't even think they checked for that. I have to read through this research a little bit more on, on the methods again, but um, I don't think they went past two two months. Maybe it would have gone a little bit further, but something that's that's interesting to me is that when we utilize dry needling with a manual technique immediately after. So we put dry needling in, let the blood flow get to that area, and then we immediately stretch that muscle so that we put everything back in place. Because so if you get that muscle that's locked up and it's pulling something out of place, if you add the dry needling to it, um, you're going to relax the muscle and then be able to put things back in place and, and, and a lot of times get rid of the 
the pain that is um, that is being caused by those tight muscles. So it's we always utilize it in multiple ways. So we can either use a hands-on technique or a very specific stretch to a muscle like an activity. And we do it immediately after because the first five minutes is critical. You got all the blood flow in there and all the nutrients that you want in there. So you want to get all that moving around by doing uh, a hands-on technique or an activity like an exercise or a stretch to you to maximize the the impact and then of course you can do it after the dry needling with the electric uh as well so i i was going to ask um how how quickly does it work and help the patient so a lot of times they're going to get relief right away just after having the dry needling in there um and so typically it. Um, you can get a relief either right after you put the dry needle, you know, right after you take out the dry needles after that five minutes, 10 minutes, depending on how long you put them in there or what technique you're using. Um, and then if it usually doesn't get it to, to go all the way away, usually people will report, oh, it feels better, but I still have the pain. And then it's the hands-on technique by putting something in place or doing the activity. By the end of that, typically we get um, pretty good uh, pain relief. Um, I mean, we can get people in the, you know, 10 emergency room, zero, no pain. We can get people in the seven, eight, nine and get them down to sometimes zero, one, two, three, you know, on a much more manageable level. Um, headaches, I've, we have patients come in with active headaches um, and we have those individuals get relief right away and, and, and pretty often. There was actually a research that looked at that exact um that exact thing, how fat, you know, uh, how does it work with acute pain? So acute pain, meaning it just happened. Um, you just had the injury within the, usually they, they look at it within the first uh, 48 to 72 hours, depending on uh, what your definition of acute pain is. And they did dry needling on these individuals, uh, just the one session right at, uh, pretty soon after it happened. Uh, and they found that um, people had uh, decrease in pain, um, increase in pressure pain threshold. So they were able to, you were able to push in on it a little bit further. Um, and then also increase in range of motion of the neck immediately after. Uh, and they checked that at 10 minutes. So 10 minutes after um, they did the treatment and then also a week later. So again, you usually put those in five minutes at the most. So you just had an injury, um, and then you, you put the dry needle, in, dry needle in there for five, ten minutes, and you're getting a week's worth of um, pain relief. So it's, it's very powerful, and that's a random control trial, meaning it's a, uh, um, it's a study that has a lot of uh, barriers to uh, not allow there to be any bias. So it's a really uh, strong uh, research, and it's a really powerful one. That's really cool, Nate. So are there any risks uh, with using dry needling? It's a very low risk uh, treatment. It, um, the, the few times in the literature that they've had problems, it, it, if you read through it, it's, it's, it sounds like overzealous uh, therapists or doctors that have, um, that have just put it in places that were probably not in their best interest. The, only, the one that, that comes up when I see it that just doesn't make sense to me is, is trying to dry needle between the ribs, trying to get intercostal muscles. Uh, there's so many other ways you can get to those muscles. I can think of a, a number of other manual techniques that work a little bit better. But, but basically they've, they've had a few times in literature where people have put, uh, put it in between the ribs and then caused pneumothorax or bleeding within the lungs. Um, I don't believe any of them were fatal 
from the research that I'm that I'm thinking about, but I'd have to I couldn't be sure of that. So it's um, and and now even when you do, let's say you put the needle into a nerve or an artery, the needle's so thin that typically you're not going to have any. You don't put them in. You don't necessarily are trying to put them in directly into the nerve and directly into the artery. That's not the goal. But even if it, you were to mess up and and put it in those places, it's the needle so thin it doesn't do enough damage to cause any issue. So the reality is the risk is really really low. Uh, and actually, many of the therapists are trained to put the needle next to the nerve, and it impacts that nerve in a very positive way. It creates a bunch of hormones to decrease the pain. So again, the therapists are. Uh, are very uh, highly trained and, and should know right where to, to, to do it. And it's, um, and the need is so thin, it really causes any issues. Yeah, that's really neat. So is there anyone that you wouldn't use dry needling for? Um, there are only a, a couple people that you don't use it on. Um, it's anyone who has acute swelling. So if you just had an, uh, a knee surgeon, your, your leg is all, uh, ballooned up and, um, due to the, to the surgery you just had, that would be an area that I don't want to create more blood flow and more fluid. You've already got a lot of fluid in that knee. So we would want to try to get that out of there. So I wouldn't use it on anybody who had maybe lymphedema, lots of swelling uh, in the leg per se, or anyone who had just had a, a surgery. And then of course I'd keep it, you want to keep it away from um, a tumor and you don't want to create blood flow, um, uh, to a to an area that has an active tumor site. Now, if anybody is, um, if you've got uh, some kind of uh, cancer, it, it depends on which kinds you have. But you can, um, if they're in remission, they're still a, a candidate and should be able to do it. But you wouldn't want to put it in an active uh, tumor, for instance. Okay, good. And my last question for you is, uh, what populations does it work best for? Young, old, sports, um, surgeries, what? What have you seen it work best for? Yeah, it's funny you ask that. I mean, I honestly, it works pretty well with just about all populations. They've got studies showing anywhere from um, arthritis in the knee. Um, so for the older population, it's had some heavy research. Um, they've they've used it on younger in, uh, individuals. I've seen some for uh, torticollis for for young babies who have got issues in their with their torticollis. That's a muscle that makes their head. Uh, move in a certain direction. Um, so if you, they've used it on dry needling uh, for that individual, and it worked really well. Um, and then, um, actually, I've got a, 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 a friend of mine who works with a uh, pro uh, sports team, uh, and they use it right on the field pretty quickly. So it works. So if you've, we've, these, you've got patients with, uh, uh, I guess athletes for that matter, patients slash athletes who uh, just pulled a hamstring on the football field, for instance, you can utilize dry needling right there and get them back in the game. So it's a really uh, powerful technique. It takes very little time, causes very uh, very little pain, uh, and can be getting people back and out there very quickly. So it's it's a really um, tool, great tool to utilize, and I think it, it's uh, it's good for all ages, to be honest with you. That's awesome. Thank you, Nate. So uh, tune in to our next podcast. We're going to talk to uh, a dentist, actually, Dr. Thorburn. Um, uh, he has uh, got a really uh, large practice uh, here in Fort Worth, and he's got um, some of the best experts working with him. We're going to talk a little bit about TMJ uh, and what and what kind of dental uh, things he does for TMJ. Uh, so we're we're going to uh, talk to him, and he's 
he's a, a really good guest to have. You'll learn a whole lot, so definitely tune in there. And then definitely um, uh, check out the resources. We'll, we're going to put them up online so you can uh, go to the website and find the resources uh, that we talked about in this episode. So thanks again for, your, for tuning in. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us on Paincast. Is there a bill for that? Join us next week as we continue our discussion about pain. You can visit readpt.com for more information and like us on Facebook to access videos, techniques, and updates at facebook.com slash readpt.